You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great edition of the DU Podcast. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And today, our guest is somebody that is familiar to readers of the Ducks Unlimited magazine and, and, and many other sporting dog and outdoor publications, but you may not know his name. Mark Atwater is one of the top outdoor and dog photographers in the country. Um, he covers all the major performance sporting dog events as well. And he's our guest today on the DU Podcast. Welcome, Mark Atwater. Hey, thank you, John. I know you're dealing with a little weather down there, Mark. It's... uh. A little stormy, but hopefully uh, everything works out well. And I know you're headed for the uh, AKC National Open. Am I correct? That's right. National Retriever Championship is in uh, Paducah, Kentucky. And that's where uh, any of you that have AKC registered dogs, and particularly, you know, most a lot of labs and gold and stuff. But you, when you see the, the prefix NFC on a dog's registered name, that's National Field Champion. And that's what this event is about. It's it's uh, very difficult to qualify for, and there's uh, there, there's 99 dogs entered in it. They'll run 10 different tests over the course of eight or nine days, and um, there'll be one winner. And they'll, they'll wind up with, you know, maybe 10 or 12 dogs that finish, and they'll, they'll uh, name a winner out of it. And that, that dog will get the NFC title. Yeah, pretty intense event. It's, to me, it's like the World Series of, of Retrievers, right? It is. Yeah, it is. And a lot of people kind of look down their you know, hunters and stuff say, oh, you know, that's, that's not. But if you look at all, many of the really, really great hunting dogs, shooting dogs, they've got these dogs in their pedigree. I um, mean, you know, as you know, grandparents, sometimes parents. And so they they certainly do do it at an extreme degree of precision and, and uh, distance and everything else. Yeah, it, it's really incredible what those dogs can do at the field trial level. You know, uh, I'm a hunt test fan personally, but, you know, to watch those dogs that, that, that become national champions is pretty incredible. What the, the level of training that they have, it, it, it's really fascinating. But anyway, neither here nor there, it's um, uh, we're here to talk to you about photography in particular. Uh, that's what you're there at the National Open for. And we just did a DU Nation film at the UKC HRC Grand Hunt Test in Nashville that uh, everybody can check out on YouTube. And your job there is to just to really capture these dogs and their element in the moment and really bring that to light. Am I correct? 
That's right. It, it, it kind of varies with the event, what, you know, what my exact commitment to the venue is as far as what they're looking for. But ultimately, it's to provide a collection of really top-notch images to the competing dogs or for the competing dog owners. And, uh, you know, and it's fun to show dogs from an angle, from a view in a way that many people have not seen before. And uh, that's that's really fun and exciting to me. Kind of a duck's eye point of view a lot of times. I really like that uh, description, a duck's eye point of view. That's what the duck sees, you know, when the dog is coming at it, you know, if yep. it, uh, the dog is, is making the retrieve. So we were talking about that, about some of the photos that you've taken over the years and gracing the cover of DU Magazine several times. And uh, one particular cover that I love, which are near and dear to my heart, is the May-June 2019 cover uh, of your dog Titan on the cover, which was the first golden retriever on DU Magazine cover in a very long time. And yeah, I think since 1980. That was the only other one. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's interesting. That cover, the 1980 cover, is uh, right outside in the hallway here, right here by the DU Podcast Studios. So, yeah, I walk past it all the time, and I see it. And But I've got that 2019 cover on my desk just because I love it and that, you know, my current dog, Buster, is one of Titan's uh, babies, so it's uh, it really special to me. Oh, yeah. Photographs are a snapshot in time, literally. I mean, it's, it's you're capturing a memory, and um, we go through life fast enough, and the dogs go through our lives at an even faster pace. You know, uh, working dogs, 10 years, maybe you get a, you know, a, a, a little bit longer out of them, but that's, that's it, and a lot of them don't make that long, but for one reason or another. But even, even in what we would consider... Uh, you know, an old dog at 12 or 13 years old or maybe beyond is still not very long. And you get these great animals and they really are great. They give us, uh, they give us a hundred percent every time they leave our side and um, they don't ask questions. They just do it. And we make mistakes and they forgive us every time uh, <laughs> without question. That's right. And uh, at the end of the day, they've got a lot more to forgive than we do. Yeah, that's true, man. And, you know, from a from a Ducks Unlimited member standpoint, there's, you know, the vast majority of our membership are our dog owners. And and they use them in the field, but they're also, they're some of your, your best friends, right? Absolutely. I mean, Buster's Absolutely. here at DU headquarters with me. He's at home with me. He's in the field with me. I mean, we do it all together. And I think that's a really special relationship. And I think you've done an incredible job capturing that relationship uh, in some of your photos over the years, Mark. Well, thank you. When did you really start off, you know, taking dog photos? Well, I started way back years and years ago with 35 millimeter, just with my own dogs hunting and so forth. And was, you know, it was manual everything, manual exposure, manual focus, you know, click, click, one at one single shot kind of stuff. And, um, it, it, and then uh, probably in the early 2000, maybe 2005 or six, I started shooting some digital. It was starting to become as good a quality or nearly so as 35 millimeter. And, you know, I had some buddies that were running hunt tests and I'd been helping them and kind of just, uh, I had done it hardcore for a while. And then my children got to be teenagers and I was chasing them around and I kind of got out of the active competition, but still had dogs and, um, and anyway, but I had some buddies that were fired up about it and they had some labs and were running hunt tests. And so I started going and just shooting them and, uh, everybody really liked it. And I think the fact that I was a dog guy from way back when and a hunter 
it was a tremendous advantage in photographing them because I knew the look. I knew, and I was, in, in many instances, knew where to be or how to get a dog to do what I wanted them to do to get the look. And um, so it's kind of a merger of photography, dogs, and hunting that started probably seriously in the, you know, 2005, 2006, uh, somewhere right in there, maybe a little sooner. Maybe it might have been early to 2002 or something. But You're talking about starting out in 35 millimeter, too. We, we talked about this at the Grand, how things have changed so much and how, uh, you know, it, it – it's easier to capture those images now than it was because of the yeah you don't have the cost of film the wait time to process all the rest of it and these these new cameras are truly amazing at what they can do. Oh yeah, thirty five millimeter cameras basically were film holders. I mean, they really there was not a you you had a built in light meter and then later on in the you know nineties there late nineties you started getting autofocus a lot of autofocus stuff. But, um, you know, there wasn't a lot. And then, you know, there began to get some computers, some programming things they started. But uh, now it's a camera is uh, a handheld computer. I mean, for uh, no no doubt about it. And um, knowing how to operate it and, and the similarities, uh, the 35 millimeter, anybody that shot 35 millimeter can trans, transfer that knowledge over. And, if they, and once they get past the technology or understand how to unlock the technology, they will be wildly successful in digital because there's, there's, uh, you know, a lot of things are still the same. But you've got a lot of technology now, which is somewhat good, some of it. Um, I mean, just look at what you can get with a phone, for crying out loud. 20 years ago, we'd, like, we'd, be, we'd have been blown away. Um, and now you, you're doing stuff with a phone. But probably the biggest thing for me, uh, other than not being tethered to film, having to change film and process it and buy it, that's a huge deal is just having the, the, everything digital. But it's the, the complete control from capture to output. You know, I'm not – I used to develop some black and white stuff when I was in college, but, you know, not a lot after that. And, and certainly I didn't do any color. But now, you know, you can, so to speak, process your own or develop it in the digital darkroom. And – that is a very satisfying, and, and uh, to, to me and a lot of other photographers, I think it's, that's part of the appeal is you not only get a great capture, but then you can uh, really dial it in in post-processing and customize it for the output, whether it's, you know, web or a print or canvas or... Yeah, that's right. There's some incredible programs out there, you know, between Photoshop, Lightroom, and et cetera, that, that are really, it, it, they're fun to work with, with photos. If you advising somebody just looking to get started in it, you know, in a basic setup, you know, how what, what would you get? Well, I'm a Nikon shooter, so I'm biased in that regard. I, I've been with them for a long time since graduate school, and I, I, I like their system. It's easy to learn. It's very intuitive, and there's a consistency through throughout their entire line from camera to camera. You don't have a lot of things on the the top of the line pro body. You may have some extra stuff on the outside, but anything that's on the starter, you know, the entry level is going to be in the same place, the same type of control on the on the higher body. So that's that's what I would look at. But regardless, in this day and age, I'd probably look at a uh, at the new uh, the mirrorless, which um, are kind of like a movie camera. There's no mirror that flips up, and so there, you, you can shoot completely silent. You have an advantage because it's a, 
electronic viewfinder, which is very accurate, and it allows you to see the scene. It's kind of a what you see is what you get. So if it's too dark, you know, it, it looks too dark, you need to add light. If it's too bright, you need to take light away and using the camera controls to do that. I, I still teach in my workshops that, you know, you should, we still do metering and all that. But, but a basic little like a Z6-2 camera body with a 70 to 200 millimeter lens is a great all-around setup. You know, if you wanted to stay in a, um, uh, a, a traditional digital DSLR, single lens reflex with the mirror and everything, and they're a little less expensive, um, you know, maybe a D500 is a good camera. And there's others uh, that the issue is how much control do you want? Do you, do you just want a, uh, a point and shoot, an, an automatic kind of camera that you take with you? Or do you want to have a camera that you can grow into and you actually do the driving and control it? And that would be a real deciding uh, factor in, in what I would recommend. But basically, uh, you know, a good body and then a 70 to 200 is a good all-around lens for go duck hunting. You can take it with you. It's good for dogs. It's good for people. It's great portrait lens. It's not a wide angle. It's not going to be great for landscapes, but um, but it'll do a lot of other stuff. And uh, probably I would say there's not a working professional photographer, at least that does anything outdoors it doesn't have that lens in their camera bag. I mean, if, if I had to have one lens, that would be it. That's awesome advice right there. And we talked about this on, on the DU Nation uh, film as well, uh, which, you know, our YouTube series, that you know, what are some things that people ought to really take into consideration when they're trying to take a great dog photo? You know, obviously, the light. Where's the light coming from? How's the light hitting your subject? Is, is the light behind your subject, your dog, and he's sitting in his own shadow, that's a real tough situation. That's backlight. So can you change that? Can you turn him around and you get between the sun and the dog? So that's a, a real huge consideration. If you can't, can you put him in shade so that it's not so bright behind him, so that he's in much more uniform light? Especially with black labs, you know, they're, everybody says, oh, my God, they're so hard to shoot. And they are difficult, but they're especially difficult when they're running in their own shadow or they're sitting in their own shadow. Because now you have to add so much light to open the shadows up on that dog to see any detail that the background turns into the surface of the sun. So controlling, you know, where the dog is or the subject and where you are in relation to the sun would be the first thing. The second thing is what's in the background. What's there that, you know, it, it, I always preach, control what you can control. And uh, so many times people will take what otherwise would be an out, just an amazing shot. And there's like, you know, a garbage can or chain link fence or, you know, just some trash or something distracting in the background where you could either move it, remove it, get it out of there, or you simply move a few feet one way or the other, change your angle a little bit, and you've got a clean background, or at least a non-distracting background. And that helps that subject pop, you know, and it, 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 it's not, your eye's not wandering around, you know, because there's some weird stuff in the background that's distracting. Those are the two main things that I see you know, are really easy to change in a lot of time, in a lot of situations. Sometimes you can't, uh, the, the event photography that I do, I, I mean, a lot of that is, you know, it is, it is and good luck. Uh, 
just take a, a second to think about it. You know, where's the light and what's behind it, my, my, my subject? And I, I think it'll, it'll really, really help, you know, in a lot of situations. That's incredible advice, and you know, because these photos are st stuff you're going to look back on for the rest of your life. Absolutely, you know, just like you said, the dog isn't going to be with you forever. So you can really take a look at these, and if you put a little time and effort into it and thinking about it, you really create an image that will, you know lasts a lifetime. Correct. Right. That's 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 great. That's great advice. I mean, I mean, um, it's, it's it's just sometimes we get so focused on the subject, we don't. We just all you know. You just. It's like flock shooting a bunch of incoming teal, you know. There's a lot of air around them, and you're, you know you know how that's going to work out. And you, you get so excited because there's a, a really great image in front of you that you just, you know, forget some of the real simple things that could make it a truly amazing memory that you've captured. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. These are moments in time that are frozen forever, and you just you can you can look back on them, and, and people will look back on them for for a very long time. Uh, let's so I'm moving away from photography now because I, I'm going to talk about a subject with you that is, of course, once again near and dear to my heart. You know, we did a film on this too uh, called Red Dogs. People want to check it out. You can go on YouTube, Ducks.org, uh, to DU Films uh, for for the Red Dog film. And it I just looked at it the other day. It's it's already crossed over eleven thousand views on YouTube. So people really enjoy it, man. They really watch it. And it's Golden Retrievers. You know, they're so... You go to the big dog events. You go out in the field. It's primarily Labradors. And I love Labs. Don't get me wrong. But you're responsible for my uh, falling in love with Golden Retrievers and their disposition and their clown personalities and, you know, just, just what those Golden Retrievers bring that a lot of dogs don't. So let's talk a little bit about Golden Retrievers. You told me this story before, but you, uh, let listeners know where you were and in, in when you really saw a golden retriever that you really were intrigued by. You know, the the one that really sealed the deal was when I was photographing the fall grand of 2008. It was in Jackson, Tennessee. Leading up to that, uh, before I get to that, there was, there was I had an opportunity to do some private commission shoots prior to that. Miss um, uh, Carol Reed from Wisconsin, the golden retriever breeder, had a dog named Punch. She was wintering down here in South Georgia in training, and I, I had an opportunity to photograph Punch. And he was he was probably the first field bred golden that I you know it was like wow holy crap I mean this dog had a motor and really exciting. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years to the grand there that I'm shooting, and I'm I'm out in the field. Uh, shooting back on the line, flooded cornfield, and uh, a, a triple and a blind. Chris Sakin comes up to the line with a golden retriever named Reddy. Um, and I, I, you know, historically, when you when I've encountered goldens years years ago, you know, when hunt tests started, I was heavily involved with that and, and used to run a lot of field trials prior to that. But 
you know, the Goldens that you saw would be like watching paint dry. Um, you know, it was like, uh, well, okay. So he comes up to the line with his dog and, and he's a dark dog, dark red. And, and, uh, and, uh, I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I can have a sandwich or whatever, you know, no big deal. And, uh, and he watches the three marks go off, you know, the, the birds he's expected to remember and go find and sit there like a statue, never moved a muscle, which is pretty typical of, of a lot of the golden, really good line manners. And when he kicked him off, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. And I'm like, holy crap, I mean, just boom, boom, boom. I mean, laser beamed all three of those marks. It was, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was really awesome. Then he's got to run the blind, and, you know, same thing. He sits there, he lines him up, kicks him off on the blind, and same deal, like he shot out of a cannon, and Chris hits a first whistle, and it looked like he ran into a brick wall, you know, just slammed on the brakes, turned around, I don't remember the specifics. He did a great job, maybe three or four casts to get to the blind, but it was all just so uh, a great control combined with great enthusiasm, style, and drive. And it just was like, it was unbelievable. And so, yeah, that was, that was what got really got my attention. And then in 2010, I got, like five emails from different people about this litter of golden puppies. Now, keep in mind, I'd had labs my whole life, you know, my whole adult life. Uh, I tell people I'm not, I'm a, I'm a lab guy. I just have goldens. But <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. But, um, and it's about this litter out of Reddy, bred to a really nice female from Savannah that I'd photographed on some weekend tests. Also a really dark red, you know, a really dark uh, golden. And I just made the comment to my wife and that, you know, if I was ever going to own a golden, um, this is the litter. And she's like, well, well, call, you know, and I'm like, really? And so long story short, there were two male puppies left. Well, at that point in my life, I'd had, I'd, I'd really liked the female labs. They just seemed to be easier to work with and all that. And I, we had a, and then had a yellow lab man named Heidi. And, uh, anyway, I, we, there were, so if we wanted one, it was going to be a male. Anyway, we, we've got one of the males that was out of, I don't know, 10, 11 puppies and, uh, named him Yeti. And he, he changed, he changed my life, uh, in, uh, in a lot of people's lives. He was a real, um, a steward, not a steward. Um, I, I'm not sure of the word, but for the golden retrievers, he just, he, he opened so many people's eyes to the fact that you could have this dog that would run, hit the water, big water entry. He'd go as far as you wanted to go. I mean, he, 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 he had a motor. There was, you know, goose, he was a goose machine on a snow goose field. He had eyes in the back of his head. I mean, he just knew where birds fell. He had an incredible sense of place. And, you know, if you said back, he was gone. I mean, he was gone. He, he would run, you know, 500 yards, you know, uh, unless you stopped him or he found a bird. Um, and so he, he really was, a lot of people hadn't seen it. He got his grand title. He became the 14th golden in 30 years to have a grand hunt retriever championship and later went on past four more. He's got, uh, he's still the leading or the, you know, most number of grand passes by a golden with six. Uh, first golden in the HRC Hall of Fame, you know, Master National Hall of Fame, Hunt Test Hall of Golden Retriever Club of America, Hunt Test. Anyway, he was he was bad to the bone and the sweetest dog when he wasn't working. Just just calmed down, had this off switch, and I, that's really the thing that really really turned me on to the to these uh, to the breed to the 
I call it, you know, field bread. There's only one is golden retriever, but you've got kind of the regular ones that are the really big dogs. They typically are large. They typically have a lot of hair and not a lot of drive. And I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but I photograph thousands of them and that's, you know, typical. Now I'm not saying there aren't exceptions, but whereas you've got the field dogs, the field, the dogs that are, you know, originally the way they breed started, they're extremely athletic. They're muscle and bone. Uh, they're, they perform at the highest level of all of the, you know, not only field, but agility, obedience, you know, search and rescue. These are the dogs people seek out. They're, they're smart. They have drive. They want to work. Uh, and they love people. Oh, isn't that so, the truth? Buster's got a fan club. Okay. Oh, yeah. Do you naturally have no <laughs> People come by to see him versus seeing me, you know, yeah. on a daily basis. They're like, where's the dog? Um, it's pretty incredible because they're such people dogs, too. They love people so much and they're just so affectionate. But damn, man, you turn them out into the field, that switch flips. And, it, and it's what's really crazy to me. I've seen Labradors like this, too, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, sure. Uh, pretty, pretty cool at home. And you take them in the field and it goes, but. Uh, th- these golden retrievers will have switches that are going between birds. I mean, they can oh, relax absolutely. and hang out until you start picking up a duck call, you start loking it, and they and they see birds flying, and they just completely lock in on it yep. and totally flip that switch. It's pretty amazing to me. And uh, you know, I've done I've done some. Uh, you were talking about history, you know how they started. Uh, breed origins fascinate me because just like the Labrador, right? They start out uh, in Newfoundland. Uh, the the British aristocracy gets a hold of the dog and, and turns it into the dog we know today. Uh, but golden retrievers, best I can tell, they, it all goes back to a guy named Dudley Marchbanks, a Scottish businessman. So the so the golden retriever is really a Scottish dog, right? When it starts out, and uh, he uh, later becomes uh, Baron Tweedmouth. So it, it, and really developed the golden retriever from that. Uh, from what I can tell, he started out with a uh, uh, flat coat. It was a yellow flat coat, which was rare. You know, and so he used a yellow flat coat male and a uh, a dog breed that's actually not around anymore, yeah. the Tweed Water Spaniel, uh, to and put those two dogs together. And of course, you know, brought some other as they always do. Just you know, you you experiment with different things. I think he used some red setters too, and I think that's where the color came from. You know, of the dark red, golden right. uh, red dogs, as we call them, uh, that came in. So it's a pretty fascinating story that you know this one guy, you know, who was a who was a, a businessman in Scotland, you know. Uh, developed the golden retriever um, in, in a place where the Labrador was king at that point. You know, this is the late 1800s. The breed was recognized by the English Kennel Club in 1913 and then later in uh, the U.S. after that. But so it's, it's a fairly recent breed when it comes right down to it. There's a lot older breeds than the golden retriever, but a pretty cool story on the, on the backside. Oh, very cool. And and a, a sidebar to that, back the first, I believe, two national retriever championships which were this was it's it's evolved way beyond what it started as i mean this started as the aristocracy of basically wealthy people that could afford to you know train their dog have their dogs trained and when they 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 came together to compete in the national retriever championship and uh and i want to say it was maybe in the 30s um, and you, someone will correct me on that. I'm sure it was, and of course then it was, these dogs were working dogs. They were hunting dogs and it was, it was a lot different than what it is now. Now, some of the national dogs competing in Paducah this next week would actually do hunt, but most of them don't. They're, they're specialists. They're, they're, um, so, um, but 
I believe the first two winners, the first two years, the winners were golden retrievers. And um, they, they had a, a pretty dominant force early on. Um, the game changed a little bit, kind of got away from, uh, got way away from kind of where it started, but it, it's still a, a great game. But now, of course, Labrador is, is much more dominant than, uh, than any other breed in that, in that particular event. But why, why do you think that is? Why, why has the Labrador excelled so well in the performance events? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. I think some of your best field dogs never get to see a duck killed over it um, because they're so adaptable to do so many other things. They could be in an agility ring or an obedience ring, or they could be a therapy dog. They can be a search and rescue dog. Um, I think that's one part of it. Um, I think another part of it is people get owners get very, very attached to them. And they literally don't want them to go away for training that is, you know, there's some very successful amateurs in the field trial game, but they dedicate their lives to training. They essentially could be a pro in a lot of cases. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, like a train on the weekend kind of thing. It's hardcore at that level. And so a lot of people just look, I, you know, I'm going to go as far as it's me and my dog. We're a team. We're going to do what we can do. We're going to play the game. It is what it is. I'm not sending my dog away to be trained and be on a pro's truck for you know, uh, 10 months out of the year. And I never get to, I never get to live my life with my dog. And I, I mean, there's, uh, there's, I shoot the puppies that I've sold. I've seen the same, you know, they don't even want it to go away for training for four months because it's, they just don't want to be without it. I think that's right. That's part of it. And I think um, goldens tend to be, they're very, very smart. Not that labs aren't, they are, they're very smart, but uh, sometimes goldens can say, well, okay, I know where that bird is. I'm going to go, I'm going to go this way to get it, you know, and, and not just go through and run like a laser beam through a, uh, with a, plow on the front of it through whatever and and that can you know just make some difference they they tend to they want they have an excellent nose i don't think anyone would argue with that their nose is you know an order of magnitude better than than most labs um, i mean they, they which can be good it can be a curse you know you start running these really tight marks where you got to run past them and stuff it can it can hurt you i think that's a little bit of it too the, the game you know it started out as a hunting game and now it's basically if you go out and you don't just put your face on the bird. I'm talking about field trials now. Um, you you are you are going to be you're not going to do well. You know if you actually have to you get out there and you're not sure where it is and you have to hunt and find the bird. That's that's kind of a um, you know it, it's more about marking and going right to where it fell. But um, and I think maybe the other thing is just training that because they are a hands-on dog and, and I always tell people they want to know why goldens want to know why can they take pressure absolutely my dogs of all all of them can take training pressure very well but they want to know why I mean you can't just you can't use force to plow through confusion and and have somebody uh, have a dog on the other end it's like hey okay let's go they don't like that I mean there's it'd be like Somebody speaking to you in Russian, you don't understand it, and they walk up and slap you in the head. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on. And Golden typically don't do well with that. And a lot of labs don't do well with that. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, good dog training. Right. Is, um, but um, certainly there's situations where, where um, and, and pressure comes in other forms too, uh, mental, a lot of mental pressure in that game as well. 
But I don't know. That'd be my guess. Uh, and then the fact that the labs have done so well, you know, that want to play that game, they don't want to. They don't want to spend seven or eight years, ten years on a dog that they that they don't you know that they, they don't feel like is you know, may not be as competitive. I, I don't know. But as far as yeah, I'm concerned, yeah. I'm gonna run a red dog and we, we do what we do, you know, because it, <laughs> me too. At the at the end of the day, it's that relationship with that animal. And of course, I, I mean, I've got I've got five of them in the in the office here with me right now, and they're all foraging around, wanting to know what's going on. But uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have me one. We're gonna, you know, they may once they make the team, they may ride the bench, but they ain't going anywhere. They they're on the team, so <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, once again, folks, you you want to see more of this, uh, like that great film Red Dogs that we did in the Stuttgart, Arkansas area uh, a couple of years ago. Like I said, you can see it on Ducks.org or on uh, the DU YouTube channel. Uh, just like I said, just look look up Red Dogs. Do you film for Red Dogs, and you'll, it'll pop right up. I, I looked at it yesterday. Um, so you do, uh, you know, going back to photography, Mark. Like you said, I, you do give seminars. Am I correct? And, and workshops uh, over the course of the year. Yeah, I usually do several workshops um, from uh, three to five day. You know, the I started doing them because people there was a lot of people that would buy a camera, they buy the latest greatest camera, and their pictures just wouldn't get any better. They didn't. They just simply. They did not know how to operate the camera. They didn't understand the fundamentals of light as it relates to photography and how that compares to the way the human eye sees. And and so I started doing them. You know, and it's like a, so. My basic workshop is that it's a three day workshop that's designed to help you learn to drive your camera so that you can predictably and reliably capture with your camera what you see with your eye. Because that's the biggest frustrating thing. You see this great thing unfold. Everybody that, you know, we all see great stuff. We plow through life at 100 mile an hour. And sometimes, you know, we don't take time to stop and capture it. But, you know, the DU members and, and duck hunting, you know, we're all hooked on quack. And when we go out, we all see cool stuff. Oh, my God, did you see a bald eagle come down and swoop on that duck, on that crippled out there, you know, or, or whatever? You know, or, or the sunrise, the sunset, the dog retrieve, the birds coming in. It, it's just a target-rich environment. And so what's more frustrating than to see it? And you got this, you know, really nice camera, and, you, and you know, maybe you get a shot or two, but, you know, basically no. And so that's how it all started. And and, um, and so and, – and then I do offer some, some – uh, a little bit – some more advanced – uh, workshop for people that have uh, more experience or have maybe gone through the basic workshop and they just want to keep going and 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 really get you know get really into mechanics of in the advanced part of photography as far as it you know relates to positioning and in in light angles and all kinds of cool stuff like that that helps you take better pictures of what you're getting. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And also, if people want you to come take pictures of their dogs, that's available as well, right? It is. Um, and, uh, you, you know, people will say, oh, what, you know, what do I got to do for you to get one of my, you know, get a picture of my dog on the cover? You know, if I've shot an event or something, I said, well, you know, it really helps if I've got a, a good collection of images. So, yeah, I'll go hunting with them and take pictures or we'll do I do a lot of, you know, the commission shoots where we'll get a group of people with a few dogs and, and I'll set it up and we'll, we'll take um, a combination of portraits and retrieves and dogs hitting the water and jumping logs and wh- whatever, whatever is available or whatever they want. And that's the best way to get a good collection because I can control 
so much of every. I can't make the dog run, but if he'll do that, we'll usually get some really cool stuff. And you know, and then you so that's that's the way to get a great collection of great images. I get good stuff at the events. I've been very blessed, very fortunate. Have good photographers that help me at these bigger events too. And we, but there's there's no predictability to it. I can't guarantee an individual that I'm going to get a great picture of his dog because there's just too many things I can't control. And so uh, this offers people an opportunity with that special dog, that, that, that four-legged buddy that, you know, we, we mourn when they're gone and cry like a baby. They just touch our heart that, that, that much. And so this, this gives people a chance to, yeah, to get some cool stuff and, and get a, and not just, you know, here's a couple of shots, but hopefully we get a good collection, you know, 50 or 60 magazine cover quality images, sometimes more uh, out of a shoot. Very good, very good. I, I know your your website is is up close photo. Um, can can people you know reach you through that? They can uh, upclosephoto dot com, and uh, there's a you know a contact me deal. You can send an email. My I think my phone number's on there, and um, and then social media. Uh, you know, I'm Mark Atwater on Facebook, and I've got an up close photo page as well. So, but any of those, just reach out to me and be glad to help in any way I can. Photography is a great sport and it's something that as long as it makes you happy, that's the only person you got to please, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's what's fun about it. And so I I like helping people with their photography. I I like photographing these dogs that are just unreal. And of course the waterfowl, that's, that scratches an itch almost as, almost as good as hunting. I mean, the, the dog doesn't get to play in, it's like catch and release duck hunting with a camera and um fun uh but the, the only bad thing is usually the dogs in the truck going what 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 the hell you know this <laughs> what <laughs> right. do i get out of what why why am i not out there uh so uh, so my my hunting has evolved into i really hunt mainly for the dogs and and i've i've had opportunity to be in some fabulous places and you know i've had an opportunity as i'm sure you have to go to some amazing hunts and been invited to some places but if I can't take my dog, it's kind of, it, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, you know? Uh, yeah, and, uh, I know what that, you mean. That, so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I won't go, but I, I mean, certainly I go, uh, obviously to, to photograph other people's dogs. I mean, I'm not going to take my dog on that, but, um, but as far as just being invited to hunt with a friend or something and, uh, and we're down here in South Georgia because of the gators, a lot of times we can't use a dog, you know, you, you can, I can, I can take him, uh, but I may not bring him home. So that ain't gonna work for me. That's all right. I've been to some places in South Louisiana too that I wouldn't take a dog either. It's uh, get a little. It's a little, a little gator. Oh, I'd lose my mind if I lost my dogs to a gator. That oh, And it's happened, man. I can't even imagine. I, I, I would be trying to pull a Tarzan, you know, swimming out there trying to get oh. the dog away from the alligator. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, so, uh, man, uh, once again, Mark, thanks for joining us on the Ducks Unlimited podcast. And it's, it's, it's been great and very enlightening. And once again, folks, we, we've got a great uh, DU Nation segment coming up uh, on this that we did at the, at the HRC Gram with Mark, really showing you and then in the in showing the images as well of the dog that we took and showing you the lighting and the backgrounds and how you can really take better pictures of your dog so check that out on du nation on, on youtube on the ducks unlimited youtube channel and uh once again mark thanks for being with us hey thanks for having me i really appreciate it and uh, i hope everyone has uh, good luck and uh, get out there and capture some of those memories of your dog and your hunts and your kids because it goes by 
by so fast. And um, those, those memories will last a lifetime. Man, it definitely is. Uh, so thanks a lot, Mark. And thank you, everyone out there, for tuning into the Ducks Unlimited podcast. And thanks again for supporting waterfowl and wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.